Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome. And we are off and running for a Thursday. And it is Cancel Culture Thursday. That means a visit from Carlene Nation, host of Media Nation here on Saga 960. And we'll revisit the canceling of the all-star game in atlanta in the name of social justice which is very ironic it's awarded to denver colorado Coors field in denver uh, where colorado actually has perhaps stricter more strict election integrity laws than does georgia so uh, we'll revisit that as i say with carlene nation today also marks holocaust remembrance day or Yom HaShoah, and will commemorate the six million Jews murdered by Nazi Germany and its collaborators. Michael Mostyn from B'nai B'rith, Canada, will be here to discuss. And uh, according to a new poll, a new poll, a majority of Canadians do not trust journalists in this country. Not a huge surprise to many of us. Perhaps you could file that under the suspicions confirmed. Uh, but uh, Andrew Lawton, one of the few really uh, good journalists left in Canada. One of the, the, the ones that you can trust, I believe, uh, will join us from True North to uh, discuss that story. Uh, let's see, what else do we have going on? Oh, Canadian business leaders are very uh, polarized when it comes to the idea of vaccine passports. And Dan Kelly is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and he'll be here. Critical race theory. If you haven't heard about this, my word, you must be living in a, under a rock, I guess. This odious ideology, which really has its, its roots in Marxism, it's a radical academic movement, uh, that it's cr and it's creeping its way into the corporate world, uh, schools, government agencies, primarily, uh, I think, more in the United States. But it, I think it's starting to happen here as well. And uh, Kimber Kimberly Herman is with the Southeastern Legal Foundation, and she's part of a, a lawyer uh, or a coalition of lawyers who are attempting to launch a Supreme Court challenge uh, to overturn uh, critical race theory. And she's our featured guest. She'll join us around 5.30 p.m. All that plus news, not in the news, fact check this. And that's a, that's a show. My Lord, that's a show and a half. That's the Richard Serrett Show. But but as an added bonus, just for listening to this program and at no extra cost, you also get the irascible and lovable 
Lou Skeezus, who joins us now. Hello, Lou. Hey, Richard. Great to be with you. I hope that uh, you're enjoying this fine, fine day. My goodness, I was out in the yard uh, enjoying the weather. It was fantastic. Just fantastic. It was. I went out for a stroll with the mighty Aphrodite, as we do just about every morning. And lots of dog walkers, lots of uh, lots of people wearing masks outdoors, which continues to <laughs> confound me. However, I'm not going to judge. I just don't quite understand it. It's a fashion uh, statement. It has become one. I see people driving in their cars, alone in their cars, wearing uh, face masks. It's a fashion statement. You know, do you have a personalized mask? I have a Spider-Man mask my do daughter you? made for me. Yeah. Madeline, you know, likes to sew. And she, uh, you know, cranks them out. Daddy, here's a uh, here's a Spider-Man mask. And so, people comment, that, I like your mask. Hey, that's great. Mask. So now you, you've got the Spider-Man mask and the mask to join it to uh, to match your bed sheets. Don't you have the, uh, the 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 Spider-Man sheets and the cover and the duvet and the and the pillowcases? <laughs> I have a lot of masks, Richard. <laughs> yes, <Okay>. I see. <laughs> I have a lot. I you know, uh, but the uh, sheets. You know what I have on my bed sheets. I had found a piece uh, of linen that was uh, a, a, a bunch of algebraic equations. And when Madeline was struggling with math in high school, I said, honey, this could be like the way you could absorb it through osmosis. Sleep on this bedding that has all these equations and everything. And, you know, maybe it'll help. And it, I think it did because she actually got accepted to university, right? And, you know, wasn't dragged into the, you know, the guilt cycle of, um, you know, being uh, deficient in math. She was actually proficient in it. So might have helped. Wow. Where was that bed linen when I was in public school? <laughs> I could have used some help. Well, I, you know, I'm just happy that it worked for her. Now, I wanted to tell you uh, one thing that uh, by hazard, I was calling uh, my good friend Darren Long from uh, Delta Harbor. And uh, he told me that he's starting a new show on Saturday and Sunday here at Saga 960 called Hard Money, where they're going to be uh, discussing gold, silver, cars, real estate, you know, anything that has value that is tangible. You know, none of that, uh, you know, uh, non-fungible token stuff on uh, Hard Money starting this week. And Darren, I've... Uh, uh, I've known him for many years, and he's uh, a credible broker in that space. Gold and silver. Are you a bit of a gold bug, Lou? No, but you know, I think that there's a place in any portfolio for something other than paper, right? Now, you know, you know my feelings on real estate, right? Real estate provides one thing no other asset class can, and that's shelter, right? Right. And if you got commercial real estate, you've got uh, rental income. So, you know, I mean, uh, do I believe that gold and silver have a place? Sure. And it all depends on who you are, Richard. You know, some people, you, you mentioned gold bugs. They want 100% of their assets in the metals. And, you know, other people, when they would ask me, what should I do? I say, well, what do you think? What are you comfortable with? And if they say, well, I don't know. I'd say, well, you know, take a little piece and add to it every year as a uh, like a habit, like 3%. 5% of your investable capital and, you know, average in over a long period of time. Right, right. So hard money. And that's uh, joining the Saga 960 family on the weekends. Right. Saturday so. at noon, Sunday at four. Fantastic. Well, we welcome Dan Long to the uh, Saga 960 family. 
That's Darren Long. Darren Long. What did I say? Dan. Oh, that's all right. That's I'm, you okay. Know, hey, you know, it's, it's all new. It's just <laughs> happening. It's breaking news. I'm new. I'm new. <laughs> My father-in-law used to say, what are you, just out of the egg? <laughs> it's a good question, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I was on a uh, Zoom call today that didn't really work out. You know what I mean? The uh, link wasn't good and so on and so on. And the convener of the meeting, you know, was making apologies. So I said, you don't have to apologize. You know, these things happen. We move on, you know. Exactly. Exactly. I mentioned uh, Dan Kelly from the uh, Canadian Federation of Independent Business is going to join us a little later about these uh, vaccine passports and uh, the businesses across Canada apparently are pretty divided about whether they would institute them, whether they would even use them with their own employees. How do you feel if you if it comes to that and it does seem right now as if it's dead in the water, uh, it's just too polarizing even for the government to, to think about it. But let's say it were to co- come to that and we had vaccine passports. And you couldn't you couldn't travel. You couldn't buy or trade, as they say in the book of Revelation. You cannot buy or trade uh, or sell without the mark, without the passport. Would you resist or would you would you get it? Well, you know, first thing I'd ask is, you know, which political party is in power? And then I would probably join that party at that point. If you're not a party member, you're not a beneficiary. Right. So I'll take that as a yes. You'll take you'll, <laughs> you will no, take the I'm, mark of the beast. Move. It's I'm the mark saying, of the beast. What I'm saying is once we get to that level of ridiculousness, the next one is, is he with the party? Oh, good. Let him in this way. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, you say a level of ridiculousness, but I mean, who, who's to say it, it, there's no such thing as parody anymore because everything seems like it's parody. And when everything is parody, nothing is parody. Well, it's theater of the absurd, and we're going to have to endure until, you know, Canadians as a group decide they've had enough. I know I've had enough. I know you've had enough, but the majority of Canadians have not. So until we get to that point, vote them back in and suffer with them, right? All right, Lou, do you have a market update for us, my friend? Yeah, it was not not a bad day for the stock markets, TSX, up uh, 100 points, uh, point. Five two percent to the upside. That's always good. The S and P five hundred up fifteen. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up forty two. Nasdaq up one hundred and twenty nine. The Canadian dollar up uh, 35 percent uh, today. Not a tremendous amount, but something. Seventy nine fifty seven U S cents. Oil down a penny. Fifty nine seventy six U S per barrel. And gold today. Uh, was up fourteen dollars and thirty cents, seventeen fifty-five ninety U.S. cents per ounce. Back in an hour, happy capitalism. There he goes, the irascible but lovable one, Lou Skeezes. And uh, just a reminder, I guess he joins us after five o'clock for news not in the news, and uh, we'll have another tip to avoid being flagged for an audit by the lovely uh, CRA. That's in an hour. All right. A, a new poll suggesting that half of Canadians believe the media is purposely, purposely misleading the public to support their own agenda. Wow. Perish the thought. Is that possible? Andrew Lott from uh, True North News will be here to discuss in uh, mere moments. That's all part and parcel of the Richard Serrett Show here on Saga at 960 a.m. And don't forget, would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at saga960am.ca, info at saga960am.ca. And uh, I even read the nasty email. So 
Let us know what you think of the program. All right, back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. A new poll suggests half of Canadians believe the media is purposely misleading the public to support their own agenda. Andrew Lawton from True North joins us to discuss. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Terrific. Thank you. So this uh, this study or this poll was conducted by a firm called Edelman. Uh, Do we know who commissioned it? No, I, I don't. But generally speaking, Edelman has always been, I mean, it's a very large organization. They, they've typically done fairly good research on this. So it's not just one of these, you know, flash polls you might see just at the bottom of some newspaper story. It is something that I think is worth paying attention to. All right. Well, the question is, will the, uh, the, the journalists across Canada be paying attention to this? I hope they, uh, they are and have a moment of self-reflection because the numbers are not good, are they? No, they're not. And, and, you know, a lot of people would look at this and, and say, oh, you know, this is all just, you know, Donald Trump when he says fake news or when people like Tommy Robinson say the media is the enemy of the people. I, I'm going to take a, a, a good fence sitting position here if I can. It doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with this. You have to understand that the mainstream media has a problem when half of Canadians think that journalists not only are getting it wrong, but are willfully and deliberately getting it wrong. That's a problem for the media, even if the media wants to write this off as as just, you know, the far right or whatever the case may be. It's a problem for them if half of the people polled think, you know what, you guys are lying. Right. That old that old saying, perception is reality. So the numbers here, 49 percent of Canadians believe journalists are purposely trying to mislead. Uh, Now, how does it break down? In terms of because we have digital media, we have newspapers, we have, um, you know, social media. How does it break down that way? Yeah, I mean, traditional media still has the edge on trust. But when I say that, we're talking about a a really low bar here. I think 55 percent of the people surveyed said they trust traditional media and 22 percent trust social media. But the problem with that is that people are not trusting anything. So that's the real takeaway from this. There's no form of media that people are actually saying, you know what, I, I think that is actually a, a solid place. And it's uh, according to the study, 52% surveyed also believe most newslets, news outlets are more concerned promoting their own ideology than telling the truth. So this isn't about um, you know errors of omission or inaccuracy. This is about... Uh, they believe the media has an agenda. Now, do we know whether they whether most Canadians feel that agenda is left or right or is it both? Well, I mean, just look at the demographics of Canada. We know Canada is not a 100 percent conservative country or a 100 percent liberal country. So naturally, you're going to get a cross section when you look at numbers like these. One point that I would raise, though, is, is that I think the media has done a very bad job as owning bias in the past, because I don't think that having an ideology precludes you from telling the truth if you're transparent about it. I make no secret. I'm someone who approaches issues from the right. So I pick stories that are of interest to me and I take perspectives that are of interest to me. And the audience responds to that. With the mainstream media, the problem is that so often you get people who are reading stories that have a bias, but it's being couched in unbiased language. The media is claiming that something which is biased is unbiased. And that's what breeds distrust. There's a lack of transparency about what the agendas really are. That's an excellent point. I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself to be a journalist. I'm a broadcaster uh, and, and I get paid to offer up my opinions. 
So it's, you know, I wear, I wear them on my sleeve. I don't think there's any question, you know, that I'm, I'm also approaching things from right of center. But as you say, uh, when it's couched in um, the idea that this is what you're getting is, an, you know, the objective truth here. Uh, and yet we have these basically these social advocates posing as journalism. Where, where, what is the root of the problem? Does it start in journalism school, Andrew? Well, I, a little bit. I, I think that there's a, a general cultural problem here. The Internet has democratized information sharing, where you know, if you want to put a perspective out there, you don't need to own a newspaper. You don't need to own a television station. And in a lot of cases, people were so limited in where they could get information from they didn't know there were alternate perspectives. Whereas now you've got the opposite problem, which is that there are so many perspectives available to you. You have no idea what to believe. You can't tell what's true, what's false, what's fake news, what's satire, what's opinion, and, and all of these things. So I, I think that that is a problem. Now, I would say that more is a better problem to have than less, because the democratization at least means that the good ideas are out there and you've got to rely on people to amplify them. But I also think that a lot of the distrust in the mainstream media comes from how the mainstream media often tends to view people. That We see this from a lot of journalists that they hold themselves as above. They only want certain perspectives told, even in their stories. They aren't getting both sides of it. And I do think there's a bit of give and take that's needed there. Right, right. Uh, they almost constitute, uh, to me uh, anyway, part of the uh, the ruling elite. And one of the problems I have with with journalists these days is I see them as rather than you know that old saying they're supposed to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, I, I don't see that happening anymore. In fact, I see them doing very little more than carrying water for for uh, you know uh, the government of the day. Almost uh, journalism by government press release. Well, yeah, and, and that's why Justin Trudeau's, uh, you know, $600 million journalism bailout is so dangerous. We know the media industry is hurting. They think that what they're hurting because of is Facebook and Google taking away clicks. But in, in actuality, what they're being hurt by is the perceptions that people have about the media. When people don't trust the media, they're certainly not going to reach into their wallets and give them money. But then the antidote to that cannot be government funding, because then that adds another layer of distrust where you say, well, hang on, if, if he who pays the piper calls the tune, how can I trust all of these people covering the government when they are getting bankrolled by the government? Exactly. Uh, Andrew, how do we listen to the Andrew Lawton show? Well, it is a trusted form of news. I hope the 45 percent <laughs> of people that uh, don't trust traditional media will come over to my way. AndrewLawtonShow.com. And you can also catch a lot of our great work at True North at TNC.news. And it is great work, Andrew. I always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Andrew Lawton, True North. All right. When we come back, it's Cancel Culture Thursday. Carlene Nation from Saga 960's Media Nation will be here. We'll discuss Major League Baseball canceling, canceling the All-Star Game in Atlanta. Back with more of the Richard Sarah Show. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 
Hey, Richard Serrett here, along with Dr. Cass Ingram, author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, let's talk about a product my family and I have been using for years, the Oregano P73 for immune support. That's a good one. That's going to be mountain-grown wild oregano up to 12,000 feet, then extracting that with steam. And that's the most powerful germ killer known in immune support. So if there's one thing you got to do, it's the Oregano P73, and boom, you get the benefit. And what are some of the benefits? Well, you've got the bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungus. Knock those down. Immune system, white blood cells, more active. And you can take this every day just so you don't get sick. Why not? One product, one big benefit. Thanks, Cass. North American Urban Spice Oregano P73, available in local health food stores across the GTA. Or you can order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. Oregano.com. All right. We are uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival of uh, Carly Nation, host of Media Nation, which is heard Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. on uh, News Talk Saga 960 a.m. And uh, we're going to talk about Major League Baseball and how they moved uh, the All-Star game. They basically stripped it away from Atlanta. The uh, the National League's Atlanta Braves were to host the All-Star game and they awarded it to the uh, Colorado uh, Rockies in Denver, and they're going to play it in Coors Field. Now, this was supposedly in reaction to the Peach State's new uh, election integrity law, uh, which was passed, what, about a month ago, I think. And um, a lot of opposition to that. It was seen as very controversial, although when you actually look at the law, and we discussed this yesterday with uh, U.S. syndicated talk show host Jennifer Kearns, there's nothing really in that law. Uh, that's out of the ordinary. Um, and, and President Joe Biden was. Um, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Commenting on the uh, the Georgia integrity law and said it was basically Jim Crow on steroids. And this, this was just a, a blatant lie. In fact, even the left-wing Washington Post awarded Joe Biden uh, with a record four Pinocchios on that statement. Biden tried to make the case that the Georgia's uh, the Georgia's election integrity law was uh, making it more difficult for working class working class people to vote, that it was shortening um, the amount of uh, hours for early voting. In fact, it extended it to seven to seven p.m., I believe, from five p.m., uh, they took great issue, of course, with voter ID. Now, you've needed 
uh, voter ID for uh, for the uh, day of voting for some time in Georgia, what they did was for mail in ballot voting. You needed an ID number that that's a new provision. But there are many states, including Colorado, which has uh, which have voter ID requirements. So it's a bit of a head scratcher as to why they would move um, why they would move the uh, the all star game to Denver. The other important thing to remember is in Atlanta, if this is done in the name of social justice, as it appears it was, particularly because Joe Biden invoked Jim Crow, Jim Crow on steroids, no less. Um, you have to look at Atlanta's uh, demographic. It's like 52 percent black and 30 percent of the businesses, 30 percent of the businesses in Atlanta are owned by blacks. Contrast that with Denver. Uh, which is, I believe it's on the order of 75, maybe 80% white. And again, Colorado's election integrity laws are arguably more strict than Georgia's. So why pick on Georgia? Well, it appears that Joe Biden basically stuck his foot in his mouth and um, uh, Major League Baseball caved in opposition to this uh, Woke corporations like Coca-Cola, uh, which also sort of piled on and Delta Airlines, both both from Atlanta. So uh, this is not going well for the Democrats. And the other thing, of course, is that this is hurting. This is going to hurt uh, black businesses. I've read estimates that it's going to cost Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, losing the All-Star game, that is about one hundred and fifty million dollars. So the very people that they are uh, they're hoping that they would uh, uh, benefit here or they were they were supposed to be helping out. They're actually they're actually hurting in a very serious way. So, again, um, this move. Taking the all star game away from Atlanta and uh, moving it to Colorado, in, incidentally, also, as we learned from Jennifer Kearns, Coors Field, the Coors family. Um, a, a very famous Republican uh, family. The patriarch of the Coors family is a staunch Republican, a conservative Christian. They do a lot of fundraising for Republicans. Uh, I believe one of the heirs to the Coors fortune has run as a Republican for the Senate. Uh, so I don't think really they had all their ducks in the row. The Democrats, that is Major League Baseball, Joe Biden, when they decided to do this. And, and more than likely, this is going to backfire uh, on them big time. All right. Uh, I think we've got uh, Carlene Nation here. Just enough time to say hello. <laughs> hey, Carlene, how Hi. are you? Hi, Richard. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Not too bad. So uh, just we just have about a minute here, Carlene, unfortunately. But just uh, just give me your your feelings on uh, the All-Star game being canceled uh, from for Atlanta and moved to Denver. Imagine uh, they're doing all of this pushed by the Democrats because Georgia is calling for a stronger voter ID to avoid the madness that ensued in November 2020 with the 2020 election, with the mail-in ballots, ballots being unverified, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about uh, intimidating the Republican governor of, of Georgia to get them to back down from Georgia imposing strong voter IDs. The Democrats need Georgia if they want to win the next election. And this is all about trying to uh, 
you know, demonize voter. Imagine they're demonizing people showing up with their ID to vote. And because Georgia is imposing this, they now want to punish Georgia by moving a major league baseball. It's insanity. It's complete insanity. Madness. And it will backfire. Well, I hope that um, this backfires big time. I suspect it will. People have had enough of of uh, this type of thinking in professionally in professional sports. They just want to get back to a, a time when they can enjoy the game. And we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see the ratings for, for the All-Star Game in Major League Baseball. Their numbers are way down as it is. And uh, this is, yeah, this is yeah. not going to help. And also, the boycotts are coming. All the, all the companies associated with Major League Baseball, the boycotts are coming. Watch out. All right. Carlene can be heard Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. on Media Nation here on Saga 960. Carlene, be well. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Richard. All right. When we come back, fact check this. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 a.m. Determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading. Fact check this. Hey, welcome back. A little earlier, I was speaking with Andrew Lawton from True North about a recent poll showing that uh, over where a majority of Canadians uh, have a, a, a distrust for uh, Canadian journalists. And I mentioned, you know, Andrew Lawton, I think is one of the good ones. Another really good one, I feel, is, is Brian Lilly with the uh, Toronto Sun. And uh, he's done some terrific work here. Uh, I believe it was Brian who uh, obtained some federal documents under the Access to Information Act. Uh, which are quite revealing. Uh, If you happen to work for the federal government and are taking their latest anti-racism course, this is the kind of nonsense that you're going to be subjected to. And um, one of the, um, I guess it's kind of a a slideshow that you're presented with. And again, this is to train federal employees and they have to take this anti-racism course. I'm assuming it's mandatory. And uh, one of the slide lists the following as Quote, characteristics of white supremacy culture. Oh, boy, here we go again. Objectivity. Huh? Objectivity? Individualism? Perfectionism? A sense of urgency? And something I really don't understand, either or thinking. So objectivity, which is sort of heralded as, you know, one of the virtues of, uh, of good journalism, that's apparently one of the telltale signs of White supremacy culture. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you're as surprised as I am. And individualism. Individualism, of course, is uh, white supremacy culture. So uh, as Brian Lilly points out, again, in the Toronto Sun, having uh, uh, um, acquired these through the uh, Freedom of Information Act, when did being objective in considering an issue become the mark of a white supremacist? Uh, Or having a sense of urgency or the, the other false markers listed? Uh, the course currently being forced, it is, in ma- it is mandatory, uh, the course is being forced on Canada's civil servants, and it even questions the name and existence of Canada, quote, racism and colonialism, foundational to this place we now call Canada, reads the heading for one fact listed under myths and facts, so that it's listing as a fact that racism and colonialism are foundational to this place we now call Canada. Sounds a little bit like the 1619 Project in the United States, right? Canada, it says, a colonial settler society is a concept based on many myths, including European discovery and harmonious multiculturalism. 
uh, while participants in this training offered up by Global Affairs Canada, they're the ones offering the course, are told to question the very name of the country. They're also informed not to question other points, such as the claim that only white people can be racist. Okay, did you get that? In other words, employees are being told, do not question, do not question points such as the claim that only white people can be racist. So what if you do question it? What happens to you? You know, just get in line and get with the right attitude or what? Off to a re-education camp, I guess. Myth number one, reverse racism exists. Wow. There's no such thing. In other words, they've decided, they have decided that reverse racism is a myth. While assumptions and stereotypes about white people do exist, this is considered racial prejudice, not racism. Huh? Someone want to explain the difference? Racial prejudice versus racism? Anyway, this is what Canadian, Canadian civil servants are being told. The section raises a lot of questions for Brian Lilly, as he points out. Can poor white people who have no power be considered racist then? According to this course, racism is about the power structure and authority. And there are plenty of poor white people, some of whom will be racist. But should we just refer to them as having a racial prejudice? So there you go. Again, terrific work to Brian Lilly for uncovering uh, this. This is critical race theory. This is what I was talking about. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Earlier, and it is creeping into our, some of our most vaunted institutions, certainly in our school. It may go by another name, but this is what this is. And um, this is what our federal civil empl uh, service employees are being forced, mandated to sit through and watch uh, and to sit there and be told uh, that that uh, things like object objectivity, individualism, perfectionism, and a sense of urgency are all telltale signs of white supremacy. All right, uh, it is Holocaust Remembrance Day, and when we come back, we'll speak with the CEO of Benai Brith Canada. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Uh, today we commemorate Yom HaShoah or Holocaust Remembrance Day and we remember the six million victims murdered by Nazi Germany and their collaborators and Michael Mostyn is CEO of B'nai B'rith Canada and he joins me now. Hello Michael, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on today. My pleasure. Uh, now as I understand it, it's not uh, only a remembrance of the, the six million Jews that were murdered 
uh, by the Nazis, but it also commemorates the the valiant efforts and the resistance of uh, Jews that that fought back and resisted both both peacefully and you know more aggressively in places like the Warsaw Ghetto. Correct. Well, that's absolutely correct. I mean, it's it's really uh, recalling the Nazi atrocities, uh, those who perished, those who survived, and and there were many ways that people survived. You know, the instant thing that we think about is are the concentration camps, the images, the horror of those concentration camps. And, and um, you know, thankfully, some did survive. The, the Nazis were not successful in their goal of wiping out the Jewish people. But, of course, there, there were some uprisings, such as the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Um, there were also partisans who lived through the war in the forest, um, fighting and, and killing Nazis uh, on some occasions. So... Um, you know, for, for every life, there was there was a different story. Right. And there are also uh, Jews that escaped uh, f- from various places under Nazi control and went on to fight uh, in, you know, in resistance groups and, and for, I guess, the allies. Correct. Uh, sure. I mean, it, it, that, that did happen from time to time. There were there were Jews that, you know, that were running away and, and uh, the war came to them, you know, as, as the Nazi machine was was rolling its way through Europe. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it was one of those stories that, uh, people didn't know how it was starting and beginning and ending. Um, and, uh, just, a, just a real time of, of, of chaos. Uh, I, I want to go back to 2019. There was a, um, I guess it was a, a survey or a poll done. It was called the Holocaust knowledge and awareness survey of adults in Canada. And, uh, it showed that 20% of Canadian young adults, said they never had even heard of the Holocaust. That must have been disheartening. I'm wondering if we have any newer numbers and, and, and what, if anything, has changed in that regard. I'm not sure if there are any newer numbers uh, at this point in time, but those numbers are very disturbing. Uh, I think it points to a broader trend of a real lack of historical knowledge by, by our young people. Um, you know, this, this does clearly point to a failure in our education just more generally speaking, when it comes to uh, to teaching uh, history, because if we don't understand uh, the history of where we came, we come from, you know, as as you know, they write, uh, we're doomed to repeat it, and um, and it is disheartening because because there's been so much time and effort over the years put into, in particular, Holocaust education, but it just means we really need to to double down um, and to uh, to take days like this, commemorative days, uh, to let the public know. Uh, that this is this is what happens um, with with fascism and um, and and when we allow evil to seep into our political system and and um, we completely devalue human life. And so, can you maybe outline some of the measures that are being being taken, perhaps by Benai Brith and other groups, to uh, to educate uh, young people about the Holocaust and the history? Well, it, yes. So, so first of all, there there is Holocaust education. Um, uh, Canada is a, is a member of um, the uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, um, which uh, so so that uh, the country has dedicated itself to uh, to fulfilling Holocaust education. This happened uh, at, the, at the high school level, although unfortunately, um, it is in a bit of a hodgepodge sort of a way uh, across the country. There are um, 
there's so much disinformation that's out there online because of the internet. Um, a lot of Holocaust denial, anti-Semitism. Um, so these are these are issues that groups such as B'nai B'rith and others are constantly fighting to to educate uh, about a factual historical background. The Holocaust did happen. Um, you know, families were uh, you know destroyed. People were murdered. Um, we need to understand what makes up a proper civil society and not just use the Holocaust um, and genocide as, as um, a, a matter of, of historical background that doesn't have any impact on the modern world or, or on our current lives. Hatred still flows. Anti-Semitism still exists. What are we going to do to make sure that this story doesn't repeat itself? Because unfortunately, it is repeating itself over and over again. So, um, so human rights groups such as B'nai B'rith were working very much to both educate uh, based on the historical record, but also make sure that record is not misrepresented uh, to uh, teach individuals to devalue human life and um, and to hate others because they are identifiably different in some sort of a way and move forward uh, to fight the modern forces of anti-Semitism um, and, and the modern forces of hate uh, to, to make the world a better place. And, and a, a recent incident of uh, anti-Semitism right here in Canada and in Toronto, the Toronto chapter of the Revolutionary Student Movement. This is, uh, I guess, a, a communist uh, group. Um, uh, or they say, well, they claim they're guided by communist principles and they tweeted out photos of street art just a few days ago. Uh, and the street art consisted of the words Zionism, a paper tiger, uh, freedom for Palestinian students and freedom for, uh, well, they name, um, I guess, a, um, a Palestinian prisoner. Anyway, death to Zionism was the gist of what this so-called street art had to say. And, you know, distressing that this is happening with uh, with young people and even on on on, on uh, university campuses. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, the, the name that was written, I believe, on on that particular uh, piece of street art, uh, which of course is, is illegal graffiti, um, was Ahmed Sadat, who is a uh, terrorist leader for the PFLP, which is a listed terrorist entity in Canada. Um, this this particular group claims they're guided. They're they're Maoists, um, you know, which is a particular brand of uh, of communism. But um, going into Jewish neighborhoods during the holiday of Passover. Um, um, and, and putting this sort of graffiti out and attacking, you know, um, you know, Zionism, which, you know, they claim is, is somehow uh, different than Judaism. By the way, the, the normative way that, that, uh, over 95% of, of Canadian Jews identify is with, um, um, identifying through Zionism. Um, and it's, it's, uh, very misunderstood. And unfortunately, there are those that try and, um, uh, differentiate and, and say that I can be an anti-Zionist, right. not an anti-Semite. Right. Um, Imagine, like, uh, for, for example, saying, oh, I love Italians, but I don't think Italy has a right to exist. Well, exactly. And nobody says that. No, And, and people quite rightly have problems with communist China today. But but I don't hear the conversation, well, you know, China itself should not exist. Uh, countries shouldn't exist. Israel exists. Israel exists. It has a right to exist. And um, the Jewish community is indigenous to, to, to the land of Israel, and that's why, following the horrors of, of the Holocaust, so many Jews from Europe did go there. But there were many Jews in the Middle East, and there have been Jews living in Israel for, for thousands of years. So um, there, there is a, an indigenous connection uh, of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, and those that deny it, that is a form of anti-Semitism. And, um, and, and, and that 
that communist groups um, attacks on the Jewish community in Toronto just in the last few days just shows how just as we need to continue to worry about um, the forces of fascism and right wing Nazis and white supremacists, uh, we also still have to worry about hate um, from the extreme left. And there is no monopoly on hate. It, it, it happens on both extremes. Um, and, and that's why it's so important to keep society sort of more in the center because we, we don't want chaos. Chaos is, is not uh, a good thing um, when, um, you know, we want to have safety and protection for everybody. Uh, Michael Mostyn, CEO of Benai Brith Canada. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. All right, hour two awaits news not in the news. And uh, also we'll speak with... Um, a woman who is at the forefront of the race or the, the battle against critical race theory. That's all up and coming on Hour 2 of The Richard Sarah Show. Stay with us. Imagine having over 100 TV multi-language channels at your fingertips. Imagine having over 100 multi-language radio stations at your fingertips. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Now, imagine an app that lets you watch or listen to all of this amazing entertainment whenever or wherever you want. Now, imagine it's all free. eBaba is the reality in mobile entertainment. Download eBaba for iOS or Android. Turn imagination into reality at eBaba. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. A little bit later in the hour, Kimberly Herman is uh, with the Southeastern Legal Foundation, and she's sort of front and center in this battle against critical race theory. If you haven't heard about critical race theory, well, you want to be... Uh, tuning in just after 5.30 and we'll, uh, or just before 5.30 actually, and uh, we'll uh, we'll learn all about critical race theory and her uh, legal battle to, I, I think they want to take it to the Supreme Court. This was something that Donald Trump had uh, signed an executive order basically to, uh, to rid a lot of government agencies of critical race theory. I mentioned the, uh, the Brian Lilly story in The Sun. He had uncovered uh, through the Freedom of Information Act these federal government documents showing how they are training their employees 
And it sounds all the world to me like critical race theory. Well, it was happening in the United States as well. And um, government employees, even corporate employees were being subjected to this nonsense and Trump overturned it. But uh, one of Joe Biden's first acts as president was to reinstate uh, critical race theory, which has its roots in Marxism. And uh, again, we'll discuss all of that with Kimberly Herman a little bit later in the hour. Also, independent business owners are divided on the idea of a COVID passport. We'll speak with Dan Kelly, the CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And now it's time for News Not in the News. Not in the news. All right. Always a pleasure to bring back the lovable, irascible dog walker, Lou Skeezus. Hello, Lou. Hey, Richard. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on today. My Today and every day, my friend. Oh, yeah. But, you know, today, because it's a beautiful day and, you know, I'm feeling effusive. Effusive. <laughs> that should be the word of the day. Effusive. Oh, effusive. In German? <laughs> I'm sure there's a German word for it. Uh, I got to ask you about, um, again, you know, file this under suspicions confirmed and uh, a Black Locks reporter, which they do a, a terrific, you know, we have some wonderful uh, independent news media outlets. I mentioned True North, Rebel, and uh, also Black Locks reporter up in Ottawa, just, just doing fantastic work. Uh, but they have this story about the CBC and the bloated bureaucracy there. Uh, they have seven seven vice presidents, 10 directors general, I don't know what they are, five directors of finance and a strategic intelligence department that has a $900,000 budget. Uh, I bet you're absolutely shocked by this, Lou. Well, no, I'm not. And I've often (laughs) described the CBC as a uh, welfare program for marginally talented broadcasters. (laughs) And I don't think they've disappointed much. I mean, when you look at the audience they're able to garner for all of the tax monies that they spend, you know, uh, they would have been shut down a long time ago. I mean, you know, Sun TV was castigated and pilloried and all that. Uh, They didn't get a billion dollars to try and get their message out there. And eventually even the deep, pockets of the Pelidos said, oh, we can't keep doing this and fighting. So, you know, am I surprised that the welfare system for the marginally talented broadcasters is, you know, bloated and has, you know, I I am sure if you went and asked any of those vice presidents or directors or whatever you call them, you know, if they could read a balance sheet or an income statement, they'd say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. So, I mean, I'm not surprised. There you go. And was isn't the president of the CBC uh, living in Brooklyn and she was like back and forth even dur- during COVID? That's the way it should be. <laughs> maybe if we can get her down to the Arctic station, like Ice Station Zebra, maybe things would improve. There you go. All right. Well, they're all uh, living high on the hog. Meanwhile, the economic blow of the pandemic is uh, finally hitting home for average Canadians. And this is a piece in the Financial Post. The number of Canadians close to insolvency reached a five-year high in the latest MNP Consumer Debt Index out this morning. More than half or 53% of those polled, Lou, in the quarterly survey taken in early March said they are $200 or less away from not being to uh, being able to meet their bills and debt payments each month. I'm not surprised. I've followed MNP's surveys for a number of years and, you know, things have not improved. Back in uh, 2016, I think it was 46% of Canadians, 2018, 
it was 48% of Canadians close to bankruptcy. Now, some, you know, there, there has to be some personal responsibility, right? Like if you're not, if you're that close to the line and you're not looking at your expenses and trying to pull back, you know, where you're spending it. And, you know, if you think you're entitled to have as many kids as you want, I just say, well, I hope you can pay for them. Right. So, right. right. You know, I, I mean, if, you know, I live below my means. I always have. I drive uh, used vehicles. I shop at secondhand stores. I bought a house with my wife that was, you know, below what we could. Well, you could have bought more. Why didn't you buy a more expensive house? Because I wanted to live below my means, right? So there is the personal responsibility. And then there's uh, the fact that when you go to a bank, they're more than happy to strap you up with a bunch of debt because you're going to pay for it, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, I know there are, you know, many Canadians are spending less, of course, during the pandemic and and um, saving more. But as you say, there are a number of, uh, of people that are being pushed further and further into the red. And I would imagine also would have to add to that a lot of business, uh, small uh, independent business owners that are always kind of living hand to mouth, especially in the early days when they're trying to get a business off the ground and then having to, uh, you know, and then uh, obviously some of this government aid is starting to wind down for them. Uh, you got to have a great deal of sympathy for them. I mean, they're, they're out there trying to create jobs and, and, and start something from nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I always advise, make sure you have a good business plan and you're uh, adequately capitalized. What do I mean by that? You need to have enough money that if you got to shut it down, it doesn't shut you down. So you're going to start a business. I have X amount of money. Uh, X amount of dollars to put into it. You go to the bank, say, I'd like to borrow some money and say, oh, sign up to this personal guarantee. Walk away. You know, maybe you need to get some investors involved in your dream and sell it to them in order to give you some sustainable uh, traffic and runway to get your business off the ground. Too many people go into business saying, I'm going to open the doors tomorrow and I'm going to live off of the business. And I often say, well, that's like having a, an infant and saying, come on, make some money, would you? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You've got to have a realistic business plan and capitalization. Didn't work with my boys as hard as I tried. What do you mean? They, they're not working. They're, they're working for you. They're building a studio. <laughs> now they are. Now they are. It took me 14 years. But try to, get it, try to get them up off their duff when they were two years old and cut the lawn. Oh, two. two. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they should have been like, you know, helping. S- Slackers. Slackers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Lou, speaking of, uh, you know, going into debt and so forth, uh, tax time. And we've been running this series, uh, top 10 things that'll get you flagged for an audit by the CRA. What do you have for us today? Large charitable donations. So here you are, you're filing your taxes and all of a sudden you got this tax receipt that'll choke a horse. That's going to get CRA spending more time with you and maybe even the charity you're involved in. And they're going to want to see the charitable receipt and they're going to have to determine whether or not it's a legitimate charity. I don't know if you follow uh, the trend line over the last number of years, but there have been a lot of uh, what I would call faux charities that were writing tax receipts, uh, but they really were not doing the business of a charity. So they were expanding, like say you gave them X, they would give you a charitable receipt for 10X, 
And that eventually started to come down in a lot of the cases, some really bad, bad action in the charitable space. So watch out for the large donations and have the receipt and have your accountant, again, always seek professional guidance. Right. But is there kind of a, a general rule of thumb uh, how much you should be giving for charity? Let, you know, there's that old um, um, rule of tithing that, that many 10%. religious adherents. Right. Ten percent. Right. But but some people, you know, they're just they're very charitable. They give maybe even more than than they can afford sometimes. So uh, you don't you, you don't want to stop. You don't want to discourage people from being charitable by perhaps, you know, this chill of a CRA audit is. I mean, how do you know how much is too much? What's going to draw a flag? Well, I, you know, again, uh, you have to consult with a professional. Right. Your accountant should be able to tell you you're way over the line. Right. You should if you're thinking of writing a big, you know, choke the horse check for a charity you believe in, Richard, um, I think that there's no two ways about it. You better call Joe the pro and say, Joe, the pro, can I write this check and not have it bounce back on me and create me more grief when I'm trying to do some good? You know, so you got to just know who you're dealing with. And there are a lot of charities, uh, Richard, that were set up just to milk the tax cow. So. That's what set the red flags off. All right. Now, let's uh, get a quick market update in here, Lou. Yeah. Uh, so taking a look at market action today, TSX was up 100 points. The S&P 500 was up 17. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 57. NASDAQ up 140. It was the tech stocks that led the markets higher today. Uh, the U.S. dollar was up fractionally, 79.60 U.S. cents. Oil up 12 cents, 59.89 U.S. per barrel, and gold up $16.10 today, uh, 17.57.70 U.S. per ounce. And just another reminder that a new show joining uh, Saga 960, Hard Money, Saturdays at noon and Sundays at four, all about hard assets, gold, silver, real estate, collectible cars, and that sort of thing. Fantastic. Lou, quick question before you go. Yeah. All right. You mentioned, you know, you live below your means. Yes. You, have a, you buy a used car. You don't you, you don't spend a lot of money on clothes. Is Sebastian a previously loved dog? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, was he used? No. <laughs> but they, they, this morning, my daughter and uh, my wife were discussing dogs on the Internet, you know, that are available uh, for whatever reason they were doing that. And I said, what's the used market like? <laughs> so, you know, check out the used market if you're looking for a dog. The new ones might be too expensive, but that's, that, there is a secondhand market for dogs. There is indeed. All right. But there's no secondhand market for Lou Skeezus. He's, a, <laughs> he's in a, one and original. Thank you, Lou. We'll talk tomorrow. All right. Happy capitalism. All right. Kimberly Herman is with the Southeastern Legal Foundation front and center in the battle against critical race theory. And she joins me next. Stay with us. Continuing with the conversation, this is The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Let me ask you, what do the decisions you made in childhood have to do with your relationships now? The answer, everything. In her new book, The Relationship Code, Heal Your Wounded Heart, registered psychotherapist, clinical hypnotherapist, and relationship coach, Debbie Papadakis, reveals how to transform any relationship 
end toxic relationships, enter a new life of healthy relationships, and start to learn to love yourself. The Relationship Code, Heal Your Wounded Heart, is available at relationshipcode.com, relationshipcode.com, and the Kindle version at amazon.ca. Start your healing journey today with The Relationship Code. Canadian business leaders are sharply divided on one of the core issues that could define the country's immediate post-pandemic landscape. According to a new survey by Modus Research, managers and executives from across Canada have deeply held but deeply polarized views on the idea of using vaccine passports or immunization certificates to allow some Canadians more access sooner to businesses and workplaces. Dan Kelly is president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Dan, thanks so much for your time. Happy to be with you. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your membership. Who do you represent? Yeah, CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, has 95,000 small and medium-sized companies as members. All of them are independently owned and operated. None of them are publicly traded. And they're in every sector of the economy, retail, restaurants, uh, the service sector, manufacturers. So you name it, we've got it in our membership. This survey by MODIS, was this commissioned by the CFIB? No, no. And so the the results, 90% of those surveyed told Modus they were either somewhat or closely following the issue. And then from there, we get 29% reported they are strongly in favor of immunization certificates. And almost a quarter, 23% said they were strongly opposed. What are you hearing from your members on this issue? Does it parallel what that research is showing? It really does. Look, every single poll I've I've seen uh, of of the idea of some form of vaccine certificate uh, to give some Canadians more access uh, to certain activities more than others has has shown the same degree of split, and and that's absolutely true of business owners as well. Uh, I, I did speak about this uh, with a journalist from, I believe, the Toronto Star several months ago and and did an interview where I was talking about the potential application of this for border crossing uh, to allow foreign tourists to come to Canada, say fully vaccinated Americans to come to Canada this summer. Uh, as so many in the uh, in in the tourism business have just been they've been gutted by by the pandemic, and even in that context of of uh, vaccine certificates being used not for Canadians but for for international guests to come to Canada, boy oh boy I was not expecting the backlash of concern I heard from business owners from from coast to coast. Many many people are very worried about the prospect of setting up two tiers in society: one that has more mobility, more uh, more abilities uh, because they've been vaccinated, and then another group that does not. Um, but there are, of course, other, many others on the other side, and and these are business owners that are desperate to get open, desperate to stay open, and will do just about anything to avoid full lockdowns of of their business and see their their businesses continued to be gutted. So it's a real mixed bag. About 60% of the business owners surveyed said they'd support the idea of a vaccine passport to some degree. However, the support shrank when leaders were asked about their own employees specifically. What are your thoughts on businesses having that choice, whether they will institute a vaccine passport for their own employees? 
You know, I, I see no appetite on the part of employers to use vaccine credentials as a way of, of either uh, continuing employment or ending employment with a particular employee. Uh, we did a webinar for CFIB members uh, where we had a legal advisor come and talk about the prospect. It is a question that is being asked. Is our business owners going to be expected to have a vaccine policy? And if so, what should that look like? It does look like it's technically possible for an employer to, to lay off a worker who refuses to get vaccinated. But I suspect that virtually no employers, even in high, higher risk occupational categories like healthcare, seniors' homes, uh, I, I don't see any appetite for employers to go down that road. I think the the you know the the idea of vaccine passports is are essentially dead in a domestic setting. So I don't think that there'll be any use of them whatsoever in Canada within our national boundaries. Where I think there is the possibility of vaccine credentials being used is for international tourism. In fact, I I suspect it will be used uh, both for Canadians to travel abroad and for foreigners to come to Canada. Uh, but that would be about it. I don't think that there'll be any, I, I sense zero appetite for use of vaccine passports in within Canada, within provinces, or in employment settings. And, and, and is that because it's just too politically polarizing? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think any politicians are going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Uh, the Prime Minister's already thrown a couple buckets of cold water on the whole idea, saying that he's not comfortable with the idea of vaccine passports, other than potentially for international purposes. This is a very pole. I mean, COVID has brought out a million polarizing issues, and I would suggest, suggest that this is probably the most polarizing of all of the COVID-related issues uh, that have popped up. You know, you have to think about what we'll do if somebody, if what what you would do if somebody uh, cannot take a vaccine for for health reasons. You have to think about what would happen if somebody objects to a vaccine vaccine for religious or other views. Um, you know, I I I don't see employers going down that road. I think it would be very impractical on the part of the employer to do that in the first place. So I I really think that this is a uh, a non-issue in uh, in in Canada, other than potentially for border application. Oh, I'm, I'm actually encouraged to hear that. Dan Kelly, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Dan, thanks so much for your time. Anytime. All right, when we come back, a discussion on critical race theory. That's up and coming here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. This is New Sox Saga 960 AM, and this is The Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. Critical race theory is a radical ideology that teaches that race and racial oppression are a central aspect of American society and history, not just American, I would say Western uh, Western civilization. And um, the idea that racism is not just personal or intentional racial preference, that the entire systems are producing different racial results and they're racist as well. And uh, this ideology is is creeping into uh, every uh, aspect of society, academia, but perhaps in your your child's public school, uh, government agencies, as uh, we just witnessed earlier. I was reading that piece by Brian Lilly in the Toronto Sun and and uh, critical race theory seems to be at the uh, the center of this new training program for federal employees. Uh, Kimberly Herman is with the Southeastern Legal Foundation in the United States, and uh, she's front and center in the battle against critical race theory. Kimberly Herman, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So let me get a, a, a definition of critical race theory from you. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Just to make sure that I'm fully understanding it. Yeah, so at its... um most basic, you know, it's an academic concept, um, but what, how I always like to explain it is that it's taking people and putting them into one and two categories. You're either the oppressed or the oppressor, right? And so it's the Marxist concept where they used to look at it from a, an income perspective. So it was the rich versus the poor. Here, it's oppressed versus oppressor. So white people versus people of color. They've literally just taken race and inserted it into that idea. And here in the States, um, it's being used to push forth uh, anti-American propaganda. And across the world, it's being used to push forth um, anti-capitalist, you know, propaganda. And it's in our law, it's in our culture, it's in our schools, everything that you just talked about. It has just uh, become so pervasive that you, you can't turn around and not see it these days. Right. And and some have suggested uh, those uh, supporters say it's nothing more than racial sensitivity training. How do you respond to that? Oh, my gosh, it's so much more than that. Right. And so that's we we see it coming forth in training and in curriculum. It's one thing to get people together and to say, look, you need to think about what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Right. That that's just being human. That's being a good neighbor. That's being a good citizen. This is very different. This is putting people in trainings where they are being forced to declare that um, our countries are were founded on white supremacy, that all white people are racist, that all men um, have hate for women. Right. And that they are disrespectful towards women. This isn't just a race thing. This comes across. Um, it crosses the gender lines also and sexual orientation and and you name it. And so it is taking it so much further than just saying, look, we might look different, but we're all human beings and we all need to recognize that. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, it seems to me that this really sort of ramped up following the the horrific killing of George Floyd uh, back uh, May 25th of uh 2020 is 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 that sort of not ground zero but is that when things started to really speed up in this regard yeah i mean it's been around for decades it started in law schools back um in the 90s and obviously it's grounded in marxist theory but i you know i think you're right i think that's a really good observation i think that uh you know with the riots that we saw following uh the george floyd um killing and uh, what you know what we saw across our country here in America then it was just an opportunity and the left seized on it right they seized on it to raise a tremendous amount of money for Black Lives Matter for Antifa and they're taking that money and they're funneling it into these organizations that are pushing these trainings and these curriculums throughout um, throughout our nation. And, and how did it uh, creep into um, into the public education system, into corporate 
America, also corporate Canada, um, um, across you know the Western world, really. How did that happen so quickly? Yeah, I, I mean, I really think that they were just ready. Um, it's been being placed in um, in our schools for the last decade. It just needed a jumping off point, and I think. I think that it's not so much what's going on in the schools because it has been there, but it's what the parents are seeing with COVID and school going virtual. All of us parents have had um, an up close view of what our children are learning all the way down from, you know, preschool was doing even doing virtual learning. I had a preschooler last year um, as well as older children. And you're watching and you're listening and you're hearing what what's going on in these classrooms. And a lot of parents have come to us and said, wow, I had no idea. Um, we need to do something. Uh, Kimberly, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back and I'll, I'll get you to maybe give us a few examples, uh, some of the more odious examples of uh, perhaps employees being subjected to uh, these critical race theory or Re-education camps really is what they sound like to me. And um, also, you know, how do we fight back and what the Southeastern Legal Foundation is doing? I know you're involved in a, in a sort of a, a, a legal coalition with uh, with some other groups to take this perhaps to the Supreme Court. We'll discuss that as well. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we're discussing critical race theory. Kimberly Herman is with the Southeastern Legal Foundation. And um, just before the break, I was I wanted to ask you about some of the the more ri- ridiculous examples of critical race theory in practice. And the one that immediately jumps to mind to me is what happened to Coca-Cola when they were asking their employees uh, basically to learn how to be less white. What could be more egregious than that? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it come out of um, Coca-Cola, out of a, a, the majority, really, of the top 50, top 100 companies. Um, and we're seeing it in basically every single government agency that we look at. Um, before President Trump issued his executive order um, here in the United States, we were seeing it literally in every single agency. At that point, a number of them backed down. But, you know, with our new administration here, um, rescinding that order, it's back in full force in all of our schools and in all of our government agencies. I know you guys are dealing with this also up there in Canada. Um, and from a company perspective, um, that that's a whole different ballgame, right? Trying to attack that from a private standpoint, we've got to get employees to speak up and, and file their complaints. So uh, are these mandatory if you if you work for a corporation where they where they have these critical race theory type programs? Um, I mean, are, are employees forced to sit down if they happen to be white and basically proclaim their white privilege and, and apologize for it and so forth? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I mean, well, we're definitely seeing that at some of the government agencies. Um, Chris Rufo, who has done just a tremendous uh, work and a tremendous service to to all of us by exposing a lot of this. You know, one of his very first stories that came out was about, um, you know, a government sub agency here and they were making the white men uh go to a training. It was mandatory called a re-education camp. I believe you, you may have referenced this earlier. Um, and at that re-education camp, they were forced to write apology letters 
to the people that they work with that are people of color and to the women simply because of who they are saying, I apologize for my white privilege. I apologize for being a male. I apologize for everything that God made me. And I have no reason why I'm apologizing, but I'm sorry because they're making me do this or I'll lose my job. So yeah, we're seeing it um, mandated uh, across all these different um, fronts. I I find it interesting that uh, these discussions often begin with, let's have an honest discussion about race, uh, which is quickly followed by, unless you're white, then shut up and listen. Yeah, we're also, you know, I was just watching a YouTube video today of a school district who um, they're having an LGBTQ plus week coming up next week. So not not race, but still in the same, you know, general area of of critical theory and, and pushing this. And they actually were talking about what to do when the parents don't want their children to be listening to this and when they don't want their children to be indoctrinated and being forced to speak out um, against things that they don't believe in. And, you know, we had this down in Raleigh, North Carolina, too, in the race context. And the teachers were actually told, they actually have it here. I like to bring it with me when I talk about this. The teachers were told that the school should displace the family as the ultimate arbiter of political morality. I mean, that is that is really strong that the school should displace the family. It's the same thing in the workplace. They believe that these trainings should displace uh, people's brains, really, and and their ability to think for themselves. Right. I mean, that's right out of the Communist Manifesto, actually. It it is directly out of it. Uh, This idea of, you know, ascribing a collective guilt to an individual because of their skin color, which is what critical race theory is doing. That's the very definition of racism. Yeah, I've seen some people referring to it as woke racism now, right, as a way to kind of differentiate and that we can try to put a a label. I don't necessarily like to put labels on things, but I I thought it was helpful as I'm explaining it and talking to people about it. Right. It's this woke racism idea um, where they're actually perpetuating um, our differences and they're teaching children at the youngest age of three and four years old to hate other people because of their skin color. I mean, that is exactly what um, we have all fought against for decades to get to a point where we're not seeing color. We're seeing people for who they are. And this is, you know, just as detrimental, if not more detrimental um, to our black children in the schools who are being told, you know, you can't make deadlines and you shouldn't have to have a letter grade because that's racist. What's that telling them? Right. That they can't do it. That's awful. That's an awful message to be sending to our children. Right. It, yes. And it's pan, it's pandering to the extreme. Uh, this idea that critical race theory could creep into mathematics it, and, and it's right out of I mean, I know it's kind of a, a shop worn example of, you know, from 1984 to what's happened the book 1984. But that actually happens in the book. The idea that, you know, two plus two does not equal four. And that's what they're trying to tell us, that that's a racist concept to suggest the two plus two has to equal four. It's not this is not a Monty Python sketch. This is actually happening. I know. Right. I feel like I should pinch myself sometimes and have to wake up from this. Um, I don't know if you saw a, a teacher just this past week said that evergreens were racist. The, the tree, that a tree was racist. Right. Because, I read that. I read that story the other day. This was in <laughs> Oregon where a high school wants to rename their, the, their their mascot. They want it to be a pine tree, a beautiful pine tree from the great state of Oregon. And the school board said, well, hold on now. Trees might be considered racist because of their connection to lynchings right 
Exactly. I mean, we're getting to the point where everything is being labeled a racist and everyone is being labeled a racist. And, you know, I think that the tides are really, really turning here because we need to get back to teaching, you know, real history. We need to get back to teaching real civics and math and giving and science and giving our children the skills that they need to be successful in this world and not dividing them and sitting there and teaching them social ideas that only a very small percentage of our of the population actually believe in um, because they are not facts and they are not provable. It is just an ideal an ideology that they are pushing. Uh, Kimberly, we'll take one final time out. We'll come back and we'll find out what the Southeastern Legal Foundation is doing about critical race theory, what the uh, the fight ahead looks like, and uh, uh, that's just moments away. Kimberly Herman, uh, a public interest law attorney with the Southeastern Legal Foundation. The Richard Serrett Show continues. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. We're talking critical race theory, unless you think that this is only happening in the United States. If you missed it earlier, I mentioned one of Canada's uh, few remaining fine journalists, Brian Lilly with the Toronto Sun, has uncovered through the Freedom of Information Act federal documents which outline a uh, federal employee training program um, called Characteristics of White Supremacy Culture. And uh, if you need an indication that the the roots of critical race theory are indeed in Marxism or communism, have a listen to this. Characteristics of white supremacy culture, objectivity, individualism. There is the key word. Apparently, individualism is a vestige of white supremacy. Perfectionism. Who knew that that's a vestige of white supremacy, a sense of urgency and either or thinking. Uh, Anyway, we are uh, speaking with Kimberly Herman, a public interest law attorney with the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Does that sound like white uh, critical race theory to you? What I just outlined, Kimberly? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it has all the markers of critical race theory and then some. Um, That's pretty that's very very egregious. And um, I hope that you've got some attorneys up there in Canada who can uh, file some suits and and challenge that for being unlawful and and unconstitutional. Uh, Has critical race theory even creeped into the legal profession? I mean, are some of your colleagues um, also sort of subscribing to this? Uh, certainly not none of my direct colleagues um, at Southeastern Legal Foundation, but we are seeing it um, across the board um, creeping into the legal profession. We've got a number of state bars associations um, that are requiring this type of training. So they call it something different, right? Because let's just put a different name on it so people don't realize what it is. Um, but it is this type of woke training, this bias, um, you know, teaching that everyone has a bias and that you need how you present your cases and attack your or approach your clients and attack your cases. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely coming to the legal profession um, full front. And I just feel fortunate that I work at an organization where we're challenging it instead of subscribing to it. Well, that, that that's that's very scary because lawyers, ultimately, some of them become judges. And once and that's, the, you know, the courts are our last line of defense when the courts are informed by critical race theory, it's over. It's over. Yeah, I mean, we've got to make sure that we keep a really strong federal bench. Um, One thing down here in the States that, you know, 
we have going for us is that President Trump was able to um, nominate and get uh, confirmed a, a very large number of federal judges. And so we believe that, you know, the time is now to challenge these. And we're working on a number of federal lawsuits that we'll be launching this summer. Um, we're hoping to get about five or six kind of big ones off the ground so that we can get some really good precedent and then start to file in some of the um, additional cases that follow. And we're hoping that as some of these plaintiffs come forward and are brave enough um, to file these cases that more and more will um, see that they are supported and that there are other people like them who want to stand up and that they'll be willing to come forward and, and file suit also. So Southeastern Legal Foundation, you're part, you're one of many, right? This is a coalition. How many are involved in this, this movement to push back against CRT? Yeah, so we've got a Stop Critical Race Theory Coalition. It's just it's a loose network of attorneys who are working together um, to bring about change in this area. And so, um, you know, I, I don't have an exact number because I think there's a lot of other really great groups out there that uh, maybe weren't named in, in Chris's press, Chris Rufo's press release about this coalition that are also working on this. Um, we've got a few grassroots groups that have popped up um, just in the last few weeks that are there to help parents and help teachers navigate their school boards and their school systems um, to bring about change on a grassroots level. And then you're going to have groups like us, and there's a number of private attorneys out there too. Now, as a public interest group, we will only take cases that represent the broader public and sue public institutions. So your schools, your school boards, your government agencies, things like that. But there's also a, a tremendous network of attorneys out there bringing these cases against private uh, companies that you were talking about earlier. Right. Uh, there was a recent case in the United States. Uh, I think it was in Virginia where uh, parents were basically doxxed uh, by uh, because they not only if they opposed the critical race theory that was going on in their in their local school, even if they were neutral on the position. In other words, silence is violence, according to the proponents of CRT. Right. Yeah, I think we had parents there that joined a Facebook group or created a Facebook group. And, um, you know, they were they were attacked uh, for doing so. But I have to say, you know, they're standing strong. And again, there is really only a small small percentage of our country and of our, our world that wants to be pushing this. And they have gotten themselves into these positions of power, really, um, infiltrating the school boards, infiltrating um, our federal government and our state governments to the point, you know, in our HR departments, really. Um, and so they're able to push this through on that end. But the vast majority of people do not want their children learning this. They do not want to be learning this themselves. And when I say this, I mean, you know, when they're forced to affirm these ideas, it's one thing to listen to them, whether or not you agree with them, you know, that's up to each person. But when you're being forced to affirm these ideas and your speech is being compelled and it turns into a day-to-day -day harassment, that's where it crosses the line and it becomes illegal and unconstitutional. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been very, very strong in this regard. Uh, he issued a, a statement saying that it, it will be outlawed in, in the state of Florida. Uh, what other states are uh, sort of on board here, other governors? 
Yeah, I think that there's pending legislation in maybe about 15 states right now. Some of it, some of the sessions are over and it hasn't gone through. But I know there's a, a bill in Texas pending um, that I was just reading through earlier today. We've got Rhode Island um, and a number of other states. You know, uh, Florida took a unique approach in which they just said, look, we're not even going to talk about critical race theory here. We're going to talk about what we're going to do. And what we're going to do is to put into place more curriculum on real civics and the things that we were talking about earlier. Um, Texas is kind of taking a similar approach, um, although theirs does have some banning uh, language in theirs also. But, you know, let's push what we need to be pushing. Let's teach people about our country and about our Constitution. And the rest will fall into place then. Well, I hope there are some uh, attorneys up here in Canada listening, Kimberly, and maybe form some uh, similar coalitions up here because uh, CRT is here in Canada. It's odious. It's hate uh, by another name. And um, if you want to call it reverse racism, I don't know. I don't like that word. Racism is racism. Hate is hate. This is nothing more than hate. Uh, Let's stop, you know, um, pussyfooting around the issue and just call it for what it is. And uh, Kimberly, I wish you and uh, your coalition and Southeastern Legal Foundation uh, all the luck in the world with this. Thank you. All right. That is it for me. My thanks to Brandon DuPont, Jody Panu, back tomorrow with the irascible and lovable one, Lou Skeezus. Matt Cullen, our play-by-play announcer for the Mississauga Steelheads, will be here to discuss what the Leafs should or might do just prior to next Monday's NHL trade deadline. And a, a popular YouTuber will uh, weigh in on the 255 transgender inmates requesting a transfer to a women's prison in California. Plus, the president of Americans for Limited Government, all that and much more. The Bob McCowan Show is coming up next after the news. I'll see you tomorrow at four. Now, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.